You're listening to episode 170 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast. In this broadcast, the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, Danny Patterson and Andrew Compton continue discussing the theme of abuse and the church. Today, they'll be exploring some common forms of abuse that can occur and some warning signs to look out for. So if you're a part of a church community and interested in learning more about recognizing and preventing abuse, I hope you'll stick around and listen to what these pastors have to say. Welcome back to another episode of Roundtable. Last time... uh... Reverend Danny Patterson and I uh, got started on a uh, discussion of how we wound up uh, where we are today in terms of the church's attention to abuse, not simply abuse out there, but abuse in here. Uh, Abuse not not simply as the problem of the Roman Catholic Church, not simply as a problem in non-Christian society, but sadly, especially a problem in conservative churches as well, Protestant churches churches as well. Well, we're moving on here to, um, to even just matters. What, where, where do we start, uh, Danny? I mean, what, what, what do we, what do pastors need to start thinking through? What do elders, what do church members start thinking through in terms of this recognition? Yeah. I mean, maybe just backtracking a little bit to what sure. we, what we ended with is we, you know, we have to acknowledge that it's occurring in, in the church of, of Christ, Right. Um, um, and, and even more, maybe even more specifically for our listeners, we have to admit that it's occurring specifically in our Reformed and Presbyterian mm-hmm. uh, churches. So um, it, it's something. So the mindset has to change from, OK, this is about other people to know this is uh, among us. And, you know, even maybe more this is out in other denominations, but 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 not here. And, and I think. If we can't acknowledge that, then we're never going to move to proactively address it in our own churches. Yeah, then and, we're then we're completely hamstrung. And and you know, again, the it's so tempting for us in Reformed and Presbyterian churches, more specifically, you know, I'm in the United Reformed Churches of North America. You're in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. You know, uh, it's so tempting for our people to wrap up their identity in the denomination so much so that they cannot even tolerate a criticism that that right. is of, of actual things that are happening. Thankfully that's that's not I don't think that's the majority of my colleagues by any stretch and I'm sure right. you could argue the same but this is this is sadly a very common thing in our circles to to sort of wrap up your your sense of worth in uh in the institutional if not institutional uh, features of a denomination, but even the name, such that you can't even say, no, our Reformed and Presbyterian circles need to deal with this. Right. And, you know, that's why I'm so thankful with those in the Reformed and Presbyterian circles who have written books like Is It Abuse by Darby Strickland, who mm-hmm. is uh, who is Reformed and Presbyterian, or or the, the numerous books by Diane Langberg of, um, uh, in which she ad- addresses abuse uh, in the church, but we have to be able to to recognize first and admit first that it, it is happening uh, uh, among us, um, and 
one of the things that we tackled in our classes in our class together in January was when you start to talk about abuse and you start to talk about um, verbal abuse and 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 being unkind, using hateful, demeaning, um, demoralizing language to speak to a spouse or even speak to your children and you speak in ways that tear them down instead of build them up the natural question that we tend to ask is well aren't we all abusive then (laughs) yeah Um, yeah and, and and i think that's some concern right i think that's some concern particularly in our circles that we're defining abuse um, so broadly as not just including physical assault, but but the use of words um, and and the impact that those words have on others to call that abuse. Um, aren't we all guilty of that? And, um, and, and some might argue, doesn't that even in some way cheapen true efforts to help abuse? That, that, that is, I think, what people's worry is at its most at its most charitable assessment. Right. Uh, you know, so, um, I mean, just to give you an example, uh, the, 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 the larger, the larger catechism of the Westminster Confession is very fulsome in its exposition of the Ten Commandments uh, about um, about how um, reviling words are a violation of the Sixth Commandment, how not just actions, but sexual speech and sexual talk is a violation of um the seventh commandment and um and and so it it really pushes us to say well aren't we all abusive and the answer is well yes and no (laughs) um yes in the sense is that we can all use our words and our gifts um and our physicality right um in in ways that are intimidating to others um we can use our words to tear people down to express our contempt and hatred for them and those are sinful, and we can rightly say that is abusive. But in advocacy circles, when we talk about an abusive relationship, we are talking about an individual, say, you know, for example, in you know, we, we talk about a pattern of of relating to someone in this way. So it's not when you speak about an abusive relationship or someone being abusive in a relationship, you're not so much talking about the instances of of abuse, but you are talking about a pattern of relating to someone else in which you use. uh, Darby Strickland says, you know, when a spouse in marriage, when a spouse pursues their own self-interests, by seeking to control and dominate the other through a pattern of coercive controlling and punishing behaviors. And and so that that is what we're talking about um, because we can all, I think, act abusively toward one another um, at various times, um, but not everyone as a pattern of relating to their spouse, as a pattern of relating to their their children, or if you want to take ecclesiastical abuse, a pattern of relating to parishioners, if a pastor is abusive, um, to relating them as a matter of, of of regularly interacting and responding to them in that way. That that is the key difference. So, you know, in in, in abuse circles, you're looking for a pattern of relating to someone that way, and those instances as you lay them out 
display this pattern of, well, I, I'm entitled to be this way um, because of who I am, because of my position. Maybe I'm a pastor, maybe I'm a father, maybe I'm a spouse. Uh, and and so relating to someone that way as a matter of course is what we're generally talking about when we use the word abuse or domestic abuse. Yeah, I think that's incredibly helpful because I I, I don't think we are served well when the first thing we do, or, or maybe I should say when we double down on, wait a minute, these are things we all do at, at different times. Yeah, I think that's that can be our instinct. And sometimes there's the instinct because of modern political currents that are trying to too broadly put labels on people. So, But right. the problem is that in doing that, we sort of put on blinders or at least we unfocus the lens in our ability to actually identify that pattern because then now now suddenly we're going wait a minute well if if you know if i if if i was really upset with one of my kids and i was using a lot of hypotheticals to basically shut them up in our in our argument you know if if i zero in on if if i say well well uh, i don't want that to be thought of as abusive but what if i in doing so then am unable to even see if there was such a pattern going on in my interactions or or somebody outside looking at me going you do this regularly you know that 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 knee jerk as it were has the i mean char- again charitably the unintended byproduct of hamstringing us from actually being able to be effective in seeking these things and pointing them out yeah i'm i'm glad that you mentioned that andrew because um, in in the book, Becoming a Church uh, That Cares Well, um, Brad Hambrick is the general editor. Um, it is actually the publication that was put out by the Southern Baptist uh, uh, Convention. One of the things that is laid out in that book, and I probably can't find it very quickly, that I, I that I found very helpful in the in the work that I've done is, you know, what is the difference between the response of a godly person? to struggling with sin and the way that they treat someone and the response of an abusive person. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what are we looking for um, when we are, when, when someone is confronted with their behavior, um, are they, um, are they broken and humbled by it and open to, to, to hearing how they have harmed someone else do they hate that about themselves and seek to turn from it or do they seek to minimize the damage that has been done yeah. to to blame others rather than take ownership for themselves um and in some cases to then flip the script on those who have they they have hurt and actually accuse them of being uh the abusive ones instead of taking ownership for uh, themselves. And so I, I think that there are some key differences bef- between someone who who is godly yet struggling with anger, mm-hmm. uh, godly let, yet struggling with the way that they use their words, and, and someone who, as a matter of course, is unwilling to hear um, about their behavior and seeks to minimize, blame shift, justify how their actions have been harmful 
um, and, uh, and, and, um, destructive to others. I think it's yeah. important because when, when in, in the church, when we're seeking to try and discern, and it's not always easy because abuse doesn't happen out in the open where everybody can see it, right? right? Uh, it hides at home. It hides in the dark. It hides, um, in private. And so one of the things that we want to teach our students to, to be aware of is if there's a situation where there there are allegations of abusiveness or the 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 session or the consistory is concerned that there might be a situation of abuse um it, it is key to understand how someone responds to being confronted with that sort of behavior because um, their response says a lot about where their heart might be. Now, we all tend to get really maybe defensive at first, right? When we're confronted with, I don't like being confronted with my sin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if I'm being dominated and controlled by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to come to say, I need to think about this. This is not good. I that this this is not the ministry of Jesus who is gentle and lowly in heart. Yeah. Uh, this is not part of the incarnational ministry of Jesus in which he does not count equality with God something to be used to his advantage, but makes himself of of no reputation. Um and and I want to lean into repentance, right? And, and lean into saying, Lord, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. If someone is controlled by the Holy Spirit, whatever their initial reaction might be to being confronted, they're going to come to a place of, Lord, search me mm-hmm. and know me. Whereas an abusive heart, a truly abusive heart, will blame shift, minimize, justify. Um, and at the end of the day, make their mistreatment of others the problem of others instead of their own. I've, I've, I've just had n- numerous conversations with people in the church, uh, you know, coming just with broken hearts about their own anger. I remember a, a friend coming after some messages in Proverbs who, who just said, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm really struggling with fits of rage. I get set mm-hmm. off too quickly. And I, and I, I, I'm, I I just can't take it anymore that I'm causing this angst to my family, you know, and uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a, it it didn't mean sort of, oh, it's okay then, but we were able to work on, on that in a, um, with a different uh, perspective than in the cases where I remember uh, somebody very much saying, well, look, you know, my spouse isn't innocent either, uh, or, you know, it takes two to tango or, you know, well, look, I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't lose my marriage here <laughs> and, and I should, I don't want to laugh at all, but this really, those were big right. red flags, big red flags. The, the first person, um, you know, the, the first scenario was, was one where I thought, wow, praise God for burdening your heart with this conviction and your, your family is going to be so richly blessed um, by this work you're doing uh, in your life, and in the other the other situation, you're you're sitting here thinking, you don't actually care about your marriage, you care about preserving your playing field, where you can be the uh, where you can be sort of the uh, the um, the domineering figure, you know, who gets to run around on the field and score all the points the way you want to. 
And that it's, I should point out too, you know, we're sort of naturally doing this, but you notice our listeners, we, we're, we're using the language of spouse a lot more than husband. But I, we have to reckon with the fact that the vast majority of the times uh, domestic abuse is at the hands of a male. Um, we're being careful with using the word spouse because there are men, um, far more men than we want to admit, who have been abused by their wives. And they bury, bear almost an even greater shame uh, because of how society has, has now painted them as like doubly weak. You know, you're not a good enough man. You couldn't stand up to a, a lady or something, right? I, I think that terminology, I just wanted to draw quick attention to that without it feeling like too much of a, a sidetrack. But um, but yeah, I, but right. we really want to make clear this is, this is all of our problem. Um, but we need to make sure we are uh, we're focused on what we know statistically as well. It's important if you find yourself in a situation as a pastor um, or even as a lay person in which you um, have concerns about um, a, a, a couple that you are working with, um, that you move forward deliberately but carefully. Mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes pastors panic when there's a disclosure of abuse or there is some, um, when there's some concern that, that there might be an abusive relationship in their midst. Uh, they want to, they, they're overwhelmed and say, well, I don't know the facts. This sounds like a, he said, she said sort of situation to step back and remember you are right. This, you are not God. You don't know the situation as he does, but you'll know the situation more uh, through a phase of discovery and asking questions and weighing responses and looking for patterns and to not rush that part of um, the uh, um, the matter. Uh, so that you don't misstep. Now, if someone clearly has been physically assaulted um, and uh, and they come to you with that, they're a spouse who has been assaulted, mostly women, uh, the vast majority, mm -hmm. your first priority is to ensure the safety of that individual. Um, and so I, I don't think that we can emphasize that enough um, that a, a spouse in a situation that where they have been physically assaulted is in a dangerous situation. Next week, Reverend Compton and Reverend Patterson conclude this series by examining how the church can respond to abuse. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.